The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Not today, I see. Great. That was a good one. You guys are usually pretty mellow. Not today, I see. Just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for being in your house with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we study your word today, I ask that you lead me with your spirit and be with us in your spirit. And because, Father, you know everybody's heart here. You know the sorrows, the wounds, the, the guilt, the shame, the, the happiness. I ask that you visit his heart, each heart and give it what it needs. And again, I ask that your Holy Spirit guides me as we study guilt today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I don't believe in ghosts, but there are many Christians who are haunted by the what I call the ghost of guilt. Many of them come to churches, go to church every Sunday over and over. They, they participate in ministry. They give to the church. They sing hymns. They sing songs. They underline their Bibles. They do everything, but yet they do not have the freedom that they ought to have. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an old proverb that says, He is not free who drags his chains with him. A little boy was given a slingshot for his birthday, and he loved and practiced it, aiming at different things. And during the summer, his sister and him would spend a lot of time at the grandmother's house. And during the summer, his sister uh, was in the house, and he was out there in the farm. And he took aim at the grandma's pet duck. He took aim and unfortunately he hit it. And he killed it. Then he panicked. What is he to do? So he tried to cover it up and hid the duck in a pile of woods. And as he turned around, his little sister was standing right next to him. And after lunch that day, grandma said, Sally, would you help me do the dishes? said, no, I believe Johnny would help you do the dishes. <laughs> Didn't you want to help in the kitchen today, Johnny? said, yes. So Johnny did a lot of dishes that summer. And we tried to object. His little sister say, remember the duck. Remember the duck. And somebody also wisely observed, says, to err is human, but to cover it up is too. Have you ever been busted? Did something wrong, you got caught. We all been busted somehow. And the Bible says this is the way we're all sinners. We've done things that offend God. You know, sometimes we never get busted by other people. In fact, some people live this double life or sinful pattern, they never get busted. And when they do, sometimes, you know, they're leaders in the church or some Christian leadership position, we're like, oh, wow, I'm shocked. But there are two people that are never shocked. The person that's committing the sin and God. The truth in the eyes of God, we're always busted. He sees, hears, and knows everything. There is no deed, no sin, no rebellion against his word that escapes God's notice. In fact, we're all guilty before God. But here's the real question. What do we do with our guilt? When we're busted before God, what do we do? 
When God exposes our sin to us and opens our eyes to the truth to what we have done, how do we respond? Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Now, before we even get into, we're going to be studying Psalm 38 today, but before we even get into the psalm, we need to talk about what guilt is. And, you know, if we would ask any people on the street, probably even here, 99% of us will say it's, a, it's that guilt feeling when you've done something wrong. It's that guilt feeling. And as I studied the scriptures and looked at different passages, you can look at Psalm 32, 1 John 3, chapter 3, and, and you know, Psalm 51. This guilt feeling when we do something wrong, that's not guilt. That's wrong. That is not what guilt is. You know, I was kind of thinking, if you put your hand on the stove, it's going to burn your hand. And the nerves will send a message to your brain to move your hand. There's pain. And you'll feel terrible after you remove it. You feel angry, kind of maybe kind of stupid, or you're angry at the person that turned on the stove and didn't tell you. You'll feel anger, but the burn, the raw skin... That's what guilt is. So many times we describe guilt in terms of pain, feeling, but that's not what it is. The pain and the feeling and the anger or whatever it is, that is the result of guilt. Result of the burn. Guilt is the condition of sin corresponding punishment that is the result because we transgressed against the law of God. Now, That's the reason no psychiatrist, no psychologist, no matter how good he is in his skill or she is, can deal with guilt unless they know the Word of God. All they can do is just give you some temporary uh, help to deaden the pain, or better sense, tell you not to put your hand on the hot stove, give you some pill to deaden it. But he or she cannot deal with it. Only God can remove guilt. Only God can remove guilt, and we need to learn this. Now, I'm not against psychiatry or psychology, but what I'm saying is those things have limits. It can never deal with the deepest needs that the people have, which is to deal with sin and guilt. And the pain is the result of guilt. Guilt is the condition of sin. And those feelings are pretty much the fruit of the guilt. You know, Psalm 38 deals with this matter of guilt, And you know, sometimes when preachers preach and talk about this subject of guilt, uh, many times they talk about renewal. Renewal has the idea that we're already basically right, and we just kind of need to freshen up to deal with this guilt. But the word that is needed in our churches today is not renewal. It is repentance. It is repentance, and that's what this psalm deals with. It's a prayer of a guilty man. It's the prayer of King David. He was a great sinner. He was a great saint. He was a great theologian, but he was also a great repenter. So we're going to learn something about how God's grace deals with guilt. We're going to take this psalm and we're going to break it up in two parts. First, we're going to talk about the tragedy of sin in the life of a saint or a believer. And then we're going to talk about the remedy for guilt. So if you would, turn to Psalm 38, and we're going to look at the first six verses. 
O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. What is the tragedy of sin in the life of a saint? I want to mention a couple of things here. Now, we need to understand when you got saved, and I say this over and over, God did not fix you where you can't sin no more. But he did fix you where you can sin and not enjoy it. So David's sin, number one, it displeases his God. Look at the first two verses. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your errors pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. So first, it shows the displeasure by words of wrath. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath. One of the ways you know you're saved is when you're sin, that Holy Spirit is telling you something. It's rebuking you. Have God ever rebuked you? He rebuked me. And when you don't listen to that, to that voice, what's he do? He sends, he sends the arrows that pierce me deeply. He sends arrows of conviction in your heart. He shoots us, and there's pain inside. God will speak to you. He will rebuke you. He will shoot arrows of conviction in your heart. And then he'll put hand of pressure. If you look at the verse 2, it says, your hand presses me down. Some people get the idea, the child of God, once you sin, he just tosses you away or something like that. No, friend. He puts a grip on you. He squeezes you. He squeezes you. He bears down. And he does not cast you off, but he squeezes you all tighter. And that's what he was doing with David here. And David, feeling that the fellowship was broken, had that pressure. There is that, that's the mark of a child. When he sins, there's a broken fellowship with God. My sin displeases God. And that may be the most costly price that we have to pay. And if you're here this morning and there's sin in your life and, and, and you sin and you live and there's no uh, words of wrath, there's no arrows of conviction in your heart, uh, I would doubt that you're saved, my friend. You need to get saved. And David was a saved man. He found out that, number one, his sin displeased God. Then the sin will dissipate your strength. Look at verse uh, 3 and verse uh, Psalm 38. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. We all know the Bible says there is no rest for the wicked. Some people have difficulty sleeping. Maybe it's due to a neurological problem, some medical condition. But many times, unresolved sin in the heart of the life for those people will do uh, clear up the conscience a lot better than some sleeping pill. Unresolved guilt saps strength from your life. When we sin, it just physically takes your joy away. And Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you sin, that joy is taken away. And when the joy is taken away, so is your strength. Your joys goes, you tire out, you be frazzled. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. King James Version says, There is no rest in my bones. The sin weighs you down. In verse 4, For iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. The man with unresolved sin is carrying around a lot of baggage, a lot of weight. 
like a hundred pound weight. I will never forget the day that when I came to Christ and I confessed my sins and I came to him and I was sorrow and I confessed it. I felt like a hundred pounds had been lifted off my chest, even though I didn't have a hundred pounds. Have you experienced that? So when you sin, that weight is there. That's the unresolved sin. That's what it's like. It's like a bag of stones. Heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Then the sin also gives us wounds. In Psalm 38.5, he says, My wounds are foul. They stink. And fastering, it means they're decaying. Because why? Because of my foolishness. He's not blaming anybody else. He is not playing the blame game. He's saying, because of my foolishness. Now, I think this is not physical suffering. It's more spiritual. That's what he's talking about. I think he's saying there's spiritual infection that's set in and spiritual decay. Now his spirit stinks. He's spiritually wounded. And there's two kinds of wounds in a, in a Christian life. That is, the, uh, one is sorrow, and sorrow will heal. It's a clean wound. Both deep, raw wounds, but guilt is a dirty wound, and it will never heal until it is cleansed. And here's what David is talking about now. His sin is decaying him. His sin has weirded him out. It's weighted him down. It's wounded him. And then this, in verse 6, it says, his, I am troubled. I am bound down greatly. I go mourning all day long. It worries him. And again, God didn't fix you where you can't sin no more when you came to him. He fixed you up where you can't sin and enjoy it anymore. He really does. And that's why he says, I'm troubled. I'm troubled. And you know, the most miserable person uh, in the world is not some church hater. It's not some atheist that denies God. It is a Christian who is out of fellowship with God. That is the most miserable person. So this is what's happening to David. Not only that, but if you look at verses 7 through 8, it, the sin weakens him even further. He says, For my loins are full of inflammation, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble, severely broken. I groan because of my turmoil in my heart. Now, what happened to David? We all hear about stories about how great he is, you know. Saul killed thousands. He killed ten thousands. David and Goliath. But here, this mighty warrior has been brought low. His body is broken. His soul is broken. His spirit is broken. And he's crying out in pain. You see, sin promises a lot, but it pays, the, the, the price is, it pays very poorly. Not only that, it deadens your soul. And this is, folks, I'm talking about in the life of a Christian. You know, sometimes we make a mistake and think, hey, we just came to Christ. I'd repented. That's it. And we just go on living like we're living. This is David. This is a safe person. This is what's happening in his life when we have sin. And verses 9 through 10 said, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my signing not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me, as for the light of my eyes is also gone from me. It deadened his soul. It will spiritually behind you. That's why he says, as for the light of my eyes, it is gone from me. If you remember in 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walked in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ has son cleansed us from all sin. But that light has gone out. He's talking about, he's not talking about physical 
light spiritual. He's a poet. He's spiritually blind. And when, God, when a child of God goes out of fellowship with God, the light of his eyes goes out. And he cannot see. He's stumbling in the darkness. And he can't see the blessings that are around him. Not only that, it deafens you. You be blind, then you'll be spiritually deaf. And verse 13 says, but I'm like a deaf man, do not hear, and I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. David had enemies. They were out there, and they wanted to trap him. If you look at verse 19, he says that, my, but, but my enemies are vigorous, and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongly have multiplied. Well, now, David is blind, he's deaf, he's weak, he's vulnerable to danger, he can't see the blessings of God. All because of sin in his life. And then not only that, not only the lights go out, not only your death, but spiritually dumb. If you look at 13, verse 13, it says, But I'm like a deaf man, do not hear. I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. What sin had done was shut his mouth. It shut his mouth. He's a sweet singer of Israel, right? Singing psalms, praises. Well, all his praise has now dried up because of sin. So when a child of God sins, it displeases God. It dissipates your strength and it deadens your soul. And not only that, it will distance your friends, your Christian friends, your true friends. Look at verse 11. Of my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my relatives stand afar off. In other words, people didn't want to be around them. Why didn't want to be around them? People say, well, don't go around David. Something wrong with him. He's not himself. Keep your distance. That's what sin will do to you. It'll make you hard to live with. Nobody would want to be around you. A wounded conscience in a Christian's life is, is hard to live with that person. And not only that, when you sin... It would delight your enemies. If you look at Psalm 38, 12, it says, Also, who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all day long. Now, you need to understand the devil is your enemy. He's strategizing day in, day out against the moment by moment. He's like a shark that wants to smell the blood in the water. He's, he's waiting for you to stumble. He wants to trip you up. And when you fail, when you sin, what a delight that is for him. He's the accuser. He stands there and says, look at Corne. He's preaching up there, but look at him now. He takes delight in that. And in verse 16, if you look at it, it says, For I am hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. So not only the devil, but there's people, you need to understand if you're a Christian, there's people that want to see you fail. They want to see you sin. There's plenty of people that want to see me sin. So I can fail, so they can point a figure, so they can point a figure at a church, to point a figure at God and say how, how much hypocrites we are. They're enemies of the cross, of Christ. The cross would love to see that there's delight. So when a man, some woman of God, some teacher, some deacon, some leader, some evangelist, they love to see that to, to fall in sin. So what does the sin do in a child of God? Displeases God. It dissipates that strength, weakens us, deadens our soul. We distance our friends and it gives delight to our enemies. 
that's the strat that's the that's what we looked at is strategy of of the life of a child of God when he sins. And that's kind of like high level. And when we have unconfessed sin in our hearts and our life, it delights Satan. It delights him. Because we've given him a foothold, a place to work. Remember in Ephesians 4, 26, 27? Don't give him a place. Don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down. Now, David was a man of after God's own heart, and David loved God. But what happened was he took his eyes off God, and he fell into sin. And my friends, we're not any better than David. We're not. So I pray that this first part is just a warning to all of us. Again, we have a misconception that when a Christian comes to God, no longer we need to confess our sins as we make our journey. Now, what's the remedy? Now, let's look at not only the tragedy of sin, but the remedy and how God's grace deals with guilt. And Charles Spurgeon once said, we, uh, when we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. And remember, this is not the guilt feeling that we're talking about or we're dealing with. It's not the pain. It is the burn that we're dealing with. So look at verse 15, and I want to call this the sinner's confidence. The confidence that you have when you slip, fail, in your life, and there's guilt. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. Now, that is his rock-ribbed, uncompromising confidence here. He knew that God would hear his prayer. He knew that God stood ready to forgive and to cleanse. And friends, you might disappoint God. We might uh, break God's heart. We might disgrace God. But there's nothing you can do to stop God from loving you. Now, we need to understand, God loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And there is that God of glory, and that hope of cleansing is there if you want it. But you've got to come to him to get it. But nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love, mighty love. There is no guilt. His blood cannot wash away, as Dan played this morning. Now, does this verse put confidence in your heart? It does in mine. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. So there's the hope. There's that confidence. Then we're looking at verses 17 through 18. This is the sinner's sorrow. You must come to the end of your sin. It says, For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity and will be in anguish over my sin. Nobody has ever repented until they're sorry for their sin. There can be no repentance without sorrow. You see, David is at the end of his rope. That's why he said, I am ready to fall. What it literally means, I have no more confidence in self-effort. I'm going to try to cover up. I'm not going to cover it up anymore. He, he, we knew, know that this sin, you know, he committed adultery. He tried to cover it up and, and so forth. And that didn't work. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, For godly sorrow, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. 
Sometimes people waltz down the aisles or church and join churches like they're going or they're doing God some kind of favor by joining the church, but they have never, ever repented, never, ever repented of their sin. And there is no forgiveness until there is repentance. There's no forgiveness without repentance. And repentance, no repentance without sorrow. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. So that's the confidence. There's the sorrow. And here now comes the confession. In verse 18, he says, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. And there's a sister psalm, Psalm 51, to this Psalm 38. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and the sin is always before me. Clearly confess your sin to God, my friends. Clearly confess. Make no excuse for your sin. I will be sorry. I will confess it. Confess it means to agree with it. And what happens? In 1 John 1, 9, we all know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to clear something up. Confess means uh, to say the same as. Confess does not mean admit your sin. There's a vast difference between confession and admission. Signing a check does not put money in the bank. It just releases what's there. Confession, not admission. Confession is what releases the grace of God. Confession. We have a misconception. Well, I admit I admitted my sin. No. When you confess your sins, you are agreeing with God concerning your sins. When you confess it, you go beyond admission. You judge your sin. You say what that sin is. You call it by name. You view from that sin from God's point of view, not yours, and makes excuses. And you say what God says about that sin. And when you agree with God, when you come over against it and take sides against it, you have confessed it. What's the result? Sinners cleansing. If you look at Psalm 38, verses 21 to 22, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, of my salvation. Now, when you're forgiven, you're restored completely. And totally. You need to remember that. It's gone. It's buried. It's cleansed. Never to be brought up again. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, of my salvation. Now, I don't care what you've done in your life. How bad it is. You probably have not sinned as bad as David. It was a sexual sin hot-blooded sin, and it was a cold-blooded sin. It was a sin that took a man's life. It was a sin that disgraced Israel nation. It was a great sin because he was a man in leadership. And the devil took delight in that. David did terribly. But friend, God cleansed him. God cleansed him. If we confess our sins, again, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful just to forgive our sins as we cleanse from all our righteousness. He is faithful and just to do it. He will, he, if he didn't do it, if God didn't do it, then he's not just. He's a liar. He would be unfaithful. Why? Because Jesus died for those sins. Those sins have been paid for, and that's grace. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time today, this morning, to talk about guilt. Because guilt is sin. In our lives. And I want our church as we move forward 
I want us, yeah, we're church members, we participate, we do this. You need to examine yourself. You need to analyze yourself. And if we're going to be the light of the world, and if you want different results, maybe some of you are uh, struggling in ministry. Do you know why? Unrepentant sin. God's not going to use a dirty vessel. God is not going to use a dirty vessel. So if there's sin in your life, you need to think about it, not just how it's affecting or impacting you, but how it's affecting and impacting Grace Fellowship. Isn't that a little bit more scary? My sin not only impacts me, not only it will reflect on my family, but it will reflect on my church family. Have you ever thought about that? We come here every Sunday. Again, I don't know what everybody's personal life is, but who knows? You know. God knows. And God will punish. We are a family. We will be dead. We will decay. We will not be infected for his ministry. And you know, sometimes when I preach on grace, and we talk about grace and repentance, you know, I was talking to a brother and I couldn't agree more. Our Christian walk is a continual repentance. It's continual repentance. And you know, when, when I preach on grace and say God will forgive you, uh, people sometimes say you're being light on sin. Absolutely not. Like I said, Christian walk is continual repentance and, and, and we need it not just when we come to God, but we need it in our daily lives. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 31, uh, Paul wrote, I affirm by boasting in which I have Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that say? I die daily, right? I die daily. Well, in Romans six eleven, he wrote, Likewise, you also reckon yourself, be dead indeed to your, into sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if we're Christians, if we do sin, how, how can we be dead to sin? Well, you need to die daily. That's what Paul did. In John 13, 10, it says, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you're clean, but not all of you. So, folks, I'm not trying to minimize sin in any way. Sin is tragic but I do want to maximize grace. None of us have maybe sinned like David sinned, but we need as much as grace as he did for our sins to be forgiven. And you see, this unconfessed sin keeps us trapped in this guilt. It's a guilt, you know, drains our energy, drains our physical, emotional, spiritual uh, strength, and we're ineffective in the church. We're ineffective in even your work, because you have this guilt. And you admit it, but you don't confess it. You need to confess it. You know, uh, we all know the story where uh, a woman was being accused of adultery, right? And they were going to stone her. And then, you know, Jesus said, those without sin throw the first rock and so forth. And we, we, we use that story as forgiveness, But what did Jesus tell the woman after she looked up? He said, nobody's here to accuse you. Go and sin no more. And that's what we need to understand. He didn't say, hey, I've forgiven you. 
Now just go on sinning like you're saying. Go and sin no more. That's the life of the Christian. Daily I die. So, and before I close, I want to I, I tell you something. Even when you have confessed your sin legitimately, and I want, I want you guys to understand this and stress this to you because there's a lot of people that feel guilt in their life and they feel guilty when they have nothing to be guilty about. So when you confess your sins, you know, there's sometimes still that guilt. You need to realize that the devil will play a guilt trip on you, even if you truly have repented. You know, a man went to a psychiatrist and said, Doc, every time my wife and I get in an argument, she gets historical. And the doc, the doc said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. She always brings up my past. And we need to understand that the devil is the accuser. The devil will bring up your past. So listen carefully. We need to learn the difference when you have guilt feeling between accusation and conviction. The Holy Spirit is the convictor, not accuser. He will convict you of your sin. The devil will accuse you of your sin. Accusation comes from the, the devil and Satan, where you feel hopeless, helpless. Now, true conviction, what, what did it do to David? He drew him closer to the Lord. True conviction helps you see your sin for what it is. True conviction causes brokenness that causes not only, not only are you broken over your sin, but you're broken from your sin. As we read in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. But the devil wants you to live under a dark cloud of guilt and despair. Why? Because you're going to be an effective Christian. So he will keep reminding you of who you were once were, right? He's just like Sally with Johnny. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. Johnny could have stopped all of it by just being confessing to his grandma, right? Grandma, I killed your duck. Be ready to accept the consequences of your sins too, friends. Don't think that we're going to sin and God's going to forgive us and there's no consequences. God will forgive you sin, but there will also be consequences. There were consequences for David's sin, wasn't there? He committed adultery. What happened? The baby died. His household was a mess. His son raised an army against him, kicked David out. That's all consequences of sin. And you see, the Bible teaches us once we confess our sins, we are forgiven, as we read in 1 John. And look at these verses in Isaiah 38, 17. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Look at Micah 7.19. He says, He will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What that means is he put it at the bottom of the ocean and he put a no fishing sign up there. You can't go back and fish them out from the past. Isaiah 43.25 says this, I, even I am, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins no more. So when you're, when, you're, 
when you're confessing your sin and you confessed it, truly confessed it, you should not have any guilt after it. If you confess it and there's guilt, that's accusation. That's not Holy Spirit convicting you. It's not going to convict you. There's no double jeopardy for the same sin unless you keep stumbling over the same stone. Now, this text also does not mean God does not remember. It's he's he's all-powerful, all-knowing God. But, but that means he, he's not going to bring it up again. He's not going to say, well, Corne, remember, you know, out of nowhere, remember when you're five, you did this. Yeah, you're bad. You're guilty. He's not going to do that. God never does that once you confess with your sin. So when the devil brings up your past, remind him of his future. So it's important that when you start experiencing guilt, friends, that you understand the difference between an accusation and conviction. Accusation, forget about it, move on. Conviction, you repent of your sins before you move forward. So if God has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. You have been forgiven by God regardless of what others do or what others say. Isn't that great? So... Again, I don't want to spend too much time today talking about guilt because guilt in the life of a Christian is sin. So if you're feeling guilt, you need to deal with the burn, not with the feeling. And the only way you're going to deal with the burn is true repentance between you and God. And again, it's so important for us as a church as we move forward because God will not use a dirty vessel. I am telling you that. So when, we, when we're out there in the real world, you're representing God, you're representing your family, and you're representing grace. And if we want to be a light, what kind of light are we going to be if we're full of sin? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for reminding us that we don't have to live with guilt. We can come to you as a loving, loving Father and confess our sins to you and be forgiven. And you're the only one that can forgive our sins. Let us not forget that. And I pray that every member of this church analyzes their lives and confesses any known sins and experience the joy of their salvation and be effective for ministry, be effective for you, and be used as a clean vessel for however you wish. And as we leave this place this morning, Father. I ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.